When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, people, this is Gabe Hudson. This is my podcast. Uh, pretty soon we're going to get back to a regular schedule where we'll be releasing episodes and I'll be interviewing writers and that sort of thing. But in the meantime, I've been writing these Substack posts on my Substack and I wanted to make a podcast to company what it was that I was posting. And today I want to talk to you about Kurt Vonnegut, my favorite writer, and also the writer that I think is best read on July 4th. As you know, we just survived another 4th of July, and here on Cape Cod, Mother Nature saw fit to rain on us, which meant some lucky people didn't have to wake up in the ER with a missing finger. We do understand that fireworks are paper guns with colorful bullets, right? Anyway, so I want to talk to you about Kurt Vonnegut and why Kurt Vonnegut is the best writer to read on July 4th. I also want to talk to you about the America that Kurt Vonnegut loves, which sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Loving America. I mean, honestly, can a sane person even love America in 2023? George Orwell said that in deceitful times, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. And Kurt Vonnegut is nothing if not a one-man revolution whose one-liners were like wrecking balls, knocking down so many of the lies that prop up the darker side of our society. On the page, Vonnegut is nonchalant. He's a wiseacre. But he's tough, and he is courageous. And I don't say that a lot about writers. He performs perilous reconnaissance missions into the abyss of the human condition and returns with witty and horrific news. The joke writer as novelist. Vonnegut is the only novelist I know of who saw himself first and foremost as a joke writer. Any discussion on the craft of writing for Vonnegut was about the mechanics of joke telling and how his books are patchwork quilts of jokes that all hang together in a narrative. I'm not even convinced that Vonnegut was being completely honest about his books being comprised of jokes, but I think it's a story he needed to tell himself in order to be able to write, to not freeze up, to not feel too self-conscious about the fact that writing well involves the literal making of miracles, which is kind of a terrifying prospect to wake up to every day. Vonnegut's writing often feels like he's speaking directly to you from the grave, even when he was alive, his books felt like they were speaking to you from the other side. Why Vonnegut is perfect for July 4th. On this July 4th, just two days ago, I tweeted out this Vonnegut quote about librarians from his last book, A Man Without a Country. And this quote says, on the subject of burning books, I want to congratulate librarians, not famous for their physical strength or their powerful political connections or their great wealth, who, 
all over this country have staunchly resisted anti-democratic bullies who have tried to remove certain books from their shelves and have refused to reveal to thought police the names of persons who have checked out those titles. So the America I loved still exists, if not in the White House or the Supreme Court or the Senate or the House of Representatives or the media. The America I love still exists at the front desks of our public libraries. And that tweet got quite a lot of act activity. It's got like uh, 3,000 likes. Um, and Marion Williamson, like, quote tweeted it and said, Bravo, Kurt Vonnegut. I think a lot of people really connected to this. Um, anyway, I want to talk a little bit about how Vonnegut ties into my origin story as a writer. So I want to give a shout out to my seventh grade teacher, Miss Diacon, at Daniels Middle School in Raleigh, North Carolina, who learned that I wanted to be a writer on the first day of class when each one of us students had to stand up, introduce ourselves and say what it was we wanted to be when we grew up. At the end of the class, Miss Diacon beelined over to my desk and said, I love that you want to be a writer. I always wanted to be a writer. Have you read Kurt Vonnegut? He's my favorite. The way he thinks and sees the world is so unique. Here, read this, she said, placing her own copy of Breakfast Champions on my desk. I can't wait to hear what you think. Even all these years later, I still remember what that experience felt like there in the classroom. Miss Diacon was overflowing with excitement. She was beaming. There was no filter or guile. And I have never seen exactly somebody or another human light up in front of me in just that way. She was radiant at the mere prospect of me wanting to be a writer. And she was hyped to share this book with me that had had such a profound impact on her, Breakfast of Champions. What we were experiencing that day was a spiritual communion of sorts over our love of books. She started asking me who my favorite authors were, and at that time I was reading a ton of John Irving, so I told her about that. But what really made this moment special is she was telling me her deep truth, that she'd always wanted to be a writer. She was focusing on me as if I were the only person in the room, and all the other kids who were getting up from their desk and exiting the classroom, it was like they didn't exist. And I could feel that with her whole heart, she thought it would be fabulous if I could be a writer and that she was rooting for me. God bless you, Miss Diacon. Breakfast of Champions is an extraordinary truth-telling device. Um, personally, I think Breakfast of Champions has one of the greatest openings of any novel because Vonnegut instantly begins dropping truth bombs on the reader at a staggering clip like when he explains the role that race played in the founding of America. Here's from just the earliest pages of Breakfast of Champions. He writes, Actually, the sea pirates, who had the most to do with the creation of the new government, owned human slaves. They used human beings for machinery. And even after slavery was eliminated, because it was so embarrassing... They and their descendants continued to think of ordinary human beings as machines. The sea pirates were white. The people who were already on the continent when the pirates arrived were copper-colored. When slavery was introduced onto the continent, the slaves were black. Color was everything. 
Then Vonnegut goes on in the next passage to distill the truth about America's origin story in these next two potent paragraphs. And I'll tell you, the novelist Michael Chabon once said on Twitter that he cries every time he reads the last sentence in the second paragraph that I'm about to read to you. And I know just what he means. So here's that next passage from the Breakfast of Champions. Here is how the pirates were able to take whatever they wanted from anybody else. They had the best boats in the world, and they were meaner than anybody else. And they had gunpowder, which is a mixture of potassium nitrate, charcoal, and sulfur. They touched this seemingly listless powder with fire, and it turned violently into gas. This gas blew projectiles out of metal tubes at terrific velocities. The projectiles cut through meat and bone very easily, so the pirates could wreck the wiring or the bellows or the plumbing of a stubborn human being, even when he was far, far away. But the chief weapon of the sea pirates, however, was their capacity to astonish. Nobody else could believe, until it was much too late, how heartless and greedy they were. Kurt Vonnegut had extraordinary emotional range. Vonnegut's aesthetic, aesthetic sweet spot is the fine line between laughter and horror. But at what cost for a writer to operate out of that space? I mean, it's not like he had a choice. But the psychic toll it took on him seems huge. You definitely get the feeling Vonnegut may have lost a marble or two along the way. His nerve endings seem frayed beyond repair. And when you listen to his interviews, he laughs so hard sometimes, it honestly sounds like he's trying to kill himself. You sense this man cries easily when he's alone. He grieves for our planet and the cruel stupidity of humankind. Vonnegut's heart is smashed all to pieces, but his mind is a joke-making machine. He is the very essence of soulful gallows humor. And in this way, an incredibly graceful human. Vonnegut experienced the worst horrors and became more humane. What I love about Vonnegut is he survived what is arguably the most horrific war experience of any American GI ever. If you're not familiar with his life story, I highly recommend you check out the documentary that came out in 2021, Unstuck in Time, directed by Robert B. Whitey. Anyway, during World War II, Vonnegut was an infantry, an army infantryman and got captured as a POW by the Germans in Dresden. And when the Allies firebombed the city of Dresden, he and his fellow POWs were kept underground in a slaughterhouse. And when Vonnegut and his fellow POWs finally emerged from the slaughterhouse, they found the entire city of Dresden had been burned to the ground and there were corpses everywhere. And Vonnegut and his fellow POWs were forced to collect the corpses and dispose of them. But there were too many corpses, and the entire city began to stink of death. And so he and his fellow POWs were forced to make giant bonfires and dump the corpses on the fires. And somehow Vonnegut miraculously emerged from that hell, spitting jokes and truth about income inequality and race, and climate crisis, and fossil fuels, and American history. He also wrote his war novel, Slaughterhouse-Five, 
in which his veteran protagonist, Billy Pilgrim, becomes, quote, unstuck in time. Now, this concept of being unstuck in time was an ingenious way for Vonnegut to talk about the experience of suffering from PTSD, which technically didn't even exist when he wrote the book. And when I talked about Vonnegut spitting truth and jokes about these social issues, here's an excerpt in typical fashion where Vonnegut goes off on one of his greatest subjects, the American dream. And this excerpt is from God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. So Vonnegut writes, honest, industrious, peaceful citizens were classed as bloodsuckers if they asked to be paid a living wage. And they saw that praise was reserved henceforth for those who devised means of getting paid enormously for committing crimes against which no laws had been passed. Thus, the American dream turned belly up, turned green, bobbed to the scummy surface of cupidity unlimited, filled with gas, went bang in the noonday sun. Right there, Vonnegut's definition of capitalism, that you get filthy rich by committing crimes against which no laws have been passed, is perfect. But Vonnegut's ultimate goal is always to connect you to your humanity. He is most terrifying when he's tender, which is often. Vonnegut wrote like Muhammad Ali boxed. There's a profound sense of joy and play in his work. But there's also a violent ferocity unleashed from someplace within that will forever remain unknowable to us, the spectator. What else did Vonnegut and Muhammad Ali have in common? They were revolutionaries whose personal demons threatened to devour them. Thus, their exquisite sense of humor, their impeccable timing. If you know what I'm talking about, then you know these are vital tools for survival. Vonnegut's books always feel like they were written by someone standing before a firing squad who was asked if he had any last words. How Vonnegut became my North Star. True story. If you'll recall from my recent post about Cormac McCarthy, I joined the Marine Corps in part because of a passage from Blood Meridian. I genuinely thought I was going to be the next writer in that Faulkner-McCarthy tradition. But the joke was on me. Because much to my horror, I discovered that I was a funny writer. And it was Vonnegut who ultimately helped me realize that my time in the Marine Corps didn't turn me into a killing machine. But rather, it grew my humanity and capacity to love people from all different walks of life. It was Vonnegut, not McCarthy, who ultimately became my North Star. And so many of my life choices have been based on things that Vonnegut did. For instance, I live on Cape Cod. I'm... I'm reciting this to you just a few miles from where he wrote many of his best books, including Slaughterhouse-Five. In so many ways, my life has been a slow waltz with Kurt Vonnegut's ghost, even when he was alive. But I also know that Vonnegut was just as obsessive about his own writing hero, Mark Twain. Now, I'm not saying I belong in a conversation about Mark Twain and Kurt Vonnegut. I'm just saying that every day when I wake up in the morning, I know what the assignment is and I know what I'm here to do. Thanks in large part to Miss Diacon. Which now brings me to the name of my podcast. 
which is sort of what this little thing about Kurt Vonnegut is supposed to be about a little bit, is I'm changing the name of my podcast, if only temporarily, to Kurt Vonnegut Radio. This name might be changed, might just end up being a placeholder, but one thing's for sure. The name of my podcast can no longer be Twitter verse given the loathsome new owner of that site. I will have more announcements about the podcast very soon. Um, it's about to be back and back in full force. Um, in the meantime, if you want to come say hi, I'm on Twitter at Gabe Hudson. Um, I'm also now on blue sky social. You can come see me there. I'm at Gabe Hudson. Um, I also joined threads today, uh, which you can come find me there. And I'm at Gabe G Hudson, which is just the same as my Instagram. Oh, and if you're interested and you want to read the piece that accompanies this podcast episode, uh, go sign up for my Substack. uh, and that is, you'll just find Gabe Hudson. The name of the Substack is Counterpoint. And also, if you want to help, you can go write a review uh, either on on Apple Podcast app or Spotify. And that actually has a weirdly profound effect on the show. We have like a good number, um, which I'm very grateful for, but we obviously always need more to get up to that next level. So the algorithm will treat us like royalty and then make the show known to other listeners who will want to find it. So anyway, uh, that's my whole thing on Kurt Vonnegut. That's why I am, if only temporarily renaming my podcast, Kurt Vonnegut radio. And, uh, that's going to do it. Peace.